The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Today's scripture is from John chapter 4, verses 34 through 38. Um, It's on page 889 in the Bibles under the chairs and also on the screen. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, we're in the middle of the holiday season, aren't we? We're right smack dab in the middle of it. It's not like it's coming now. It's like we are in it. Megan and I had our first like holiday Christmas party gathering kind of thing. Uh, some people in our neighborhood, in our street, we live on Golden Stone, not quite as fancy as it sounds. We live on Golden Stone Drive. And so uh, the, our section of Golden, not all of Golden Stone Drive, our section, our block of Golden Stone Drive had our Christmas uh, dinner last night. And so if you can picture this, uh, uh, you can picture 18 uh, New Yorkers or New Jerseyites, is that what you say, New Jerseyites? 18 New York and New Jerseyites, all of retirement age or nearly retirement age, plus Megan and me at an Italian restaurant having dinner together. It was like, it was like I was in the middle of an episode of Seinfeld. It, and, and I loved it. It was like the Jersey lady, like Michelle, she was yelling at everybody, and they were going back and forth. And later, it was it was hilarious and it was fun. I enjoyed it so much. But we, I mean, that's what we're in the middle of, right? Like we're right in the middle of like all the gatherings and all the special things, the shopping and Christmas. The holidays can be full of a lot of awkward situations, right? Like, that's not a natural pairing of people, the people that we just happen to live on the same street that had dinner together last night at Ducati's, by the way, amazing. But, uh, but that's not a, not a normal kind of group of people, and that can build a lot of stress, right? Like Christmas, the holidays, it can be a little bit stressful. Um, I, I personally feel like very few things in American life set us up for frustration and uh, sadness and anger quite like Christmas does, because there's such a pressure to have the perfect Christmas, isn't there? Like if you look on Instagram or Facebook or the Hallmark Channel for all you Hallmark Christmasites, like, like it paints this picture of like how the perfect Christmas should be, and it creates this pressure on us, like that's how I should be feeling, that's what my Christmas days should be like, and yet, isn't it so true, like it, it very seldom looks like the Hallmark Channel, right? Like we picture... Like, like we, we picture this whole, like, 
cozy and warm feeling and we're gathered with our family and friends smiling by the fire, everybody looking nice in our sweaters, holding our hot cocoa, like singing Christmas carols with each other and swaying back and forth, enjoying the true meaning of the season and this depth of warmth relationships that we have each other. That's the picture that we get that we're supposed to have. And then we're like, we're actually in Christmas and we're looking around our house and we're looking at our pocketbook and we're looking at our kids and we're looking at our neighbors and our family members and we're like, this is not like Hallmark sold me it was gonna be. And it sets up this whole sort of pressure of like feeling, like never feeling fulfilled because I, I feel, I'm so confused because I feel like Christmas should be this like wonderful, cozy, warm time of year where I'm happy and I'm fulfilled, but so often we end up feeling like sad and maybe just a little disappointed that it's not living up to what I hoped it would or the people around hope me hope that it would or what Hallmark says it should look like, like this, this disconnect and it can feel like disappointed and sad and even lonely, even though we're like surrounded by people, right? You ever had that feeling? Like you don't have to nod your head, but like you're in a gathering like Meg and I were last night around the table and everybody's laughing and eating or at a work party or with your family and you feel like so alone, like you're in a window looking inside to everybody else. Well, I think, and this is a big claim, I think I had the antidote for us this morning for those kinds of Christmas blues. I think I've had an antidote for us this morning, and it comes from the text that Madeline read for us, though it's a very non-Christmassy text, right? Like you heard that, you're like, okay, I don't see hear anything Christmas in there. But I think that what we're gonna see is that the, the text, the answer, the antidote to our Christmas blues comes from this text, and it comes from the, directly from the very heart of Christmas. And we see it with Jesus' interaction with his disciples. They're in this situation, and they're very, they're very confused. We're going to get to that in just a second. And Jesus tells them, this is what he tells them to do. He says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. And, and I think we're going to hear this morning by God's grace, Jesus say the same thing to us. I think we're gonna see him say the same thing to our hearts that if you wanna feel a sense of meaning and purpose this Christmas, then lift up your eyes. I think that's what we're gonna hear for us this morning. Here's what we're gonna see. Jesus says, lift up your eyes, first of all, that you may see the harvest. Lift up your eyes, secondly, that you may rejoice as you harvest. And thirdly, lift up your eyes, that you may harvest what you haven't earned. Lift up your eyes that you may see the harvest, that you may rejoice as you harvest, that you may harvest what you haven't earned. First of all, lift up your eyes that you may see the harvest. So we encounter Jesus in this passage and he has been ministering, it's pretty fairly early in his ministry and he's, in order to, to save some time, he's passing through the area called Samaria. Now this was, uh, not a, a typical route that upstanding Jewish rabbis or teachers would take because the Samaritans were the result of Jews marrying outside 
of the Jewish nation, and that was expressly forbid in the Torah. And so these Jews married these people, and so the Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds, which is not a very nice thing. And, they, and they, the Samaritans had, had actually taken the Jewish uh, culture, the Jewish religion, but had changed the Jewish religion in a few key areas. They had changed where you worship. And so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they were half-Jews, and they looked down on the Samaritans because they did not worship God the way God prescribed in the Torah. So it was a pretty big deal. And so what would happen is they wouldn't even associate with the Samaritans. So if you were an upstanding Jewish man, or a particularly upstanding Jewish rabbi or teacher, you would never go through Samaria unless you absolutely had to, and you would never interact with a Samaritan. Like, I mean, it, it would have to be incredibly serious for you to have to do it. And not only on top of that, but a Jewish man or a Jewish rabbi wouldn't talk to a woman. Even a Jewish woman, they would, just, they, they would not even associate with them. And so for Jesus to walk through Samaria and he sits down by this well and a Samaritan woman comes up to the well and he strikes up a conversation with her and it blows her mind. She's like, she actually even asked him, why are you talking to me for I am a Samaritan and a woman? This is two reasons that you are obviously an upstanding Jewish teacher would never talk to me. Why are you talk to me, talking to me for I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman. And Jesus has this all amazing interaction that I really can't go into today, but it would be worth you going home today and reading. He has this interaction where he tells her, if you knew who I am, because he asked her to give him some water, if he said, if you knew who I am, you, I wouldn't ask you to give you to give me water, you would ask me to give you living water that would never run dry. And she says, hey, what is that? And then they have this whole kind of interaction where he actually, he actually like reads her mail to her. He's, she's, at one point she says, uh, I'm, I'm not married and I don't have a husband. Because he says, go get your husband. And he says, you're right. Uh, you've been living with a man who's not your husband. To a woman that, he, that a Jewish teacher would never even communicate with. And she runs off to the village and tells everyone in the village, the, 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 the people in the village who she was probably at the well in the middle of the day hiding from, she runs and tells all of them, I have met this man, and he told me everything that I have done. Could he not be the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the Savior? And Jesus' disciples walk up to him while he's in talking with her, and their minds are blown. They are confused. Why would Jesus, this upstanding Jewish rabbi, this Jewish teacher, why would he be associating and talking with this Samaritan woman? And Jesus then asked, the, Jesus then says to them, we'll start in verse 34. Jesus said to them, because they just had this whole conversation about, hey, what, what are we going to eat? And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My will is to do my food, what feeds me, what gives me energy and power and strength, purpose and meaning, if you will. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then he turns to the disciples, he says, don't you say there are yet four months and then there'll be the harvest. And so we're not sure exactly where this saying came from, but this is a whole sort of concept that they lived in an agrarian society and you would plant the seed and like I grew up in the country and maybe you don't realize it, maybe you think 
think like food, like, you know, like tomatoes come from the grocery store. They actually had to be grown. Like they, they don't just like pop up from, like, we don't three, 3D print those yet. Like we actually have to plant a seed or a plant and it grows and you have to wait for there to be a harvest for, the, for it to produce the fruit, produce the food that you are growing. And that's the way it works. And he says, don't you say there yet four months until the harvest. Hey, we've planted the, the seed. We have to wait four months and then the harvest is going to come. Don't you say that? So remember, they're wondering why is he talking to this Samaritan woman, a, a, a person that a Jewish, upstanding Jewish man would never communicate with. And he says, I came to do the work of the one who sent me to accomplish his work, to do his will. That's my food. Don't you say there are yet four months more and then we'll have the harvest. But look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Jesus is saying this, here is the reason that I came. I came for people. I came for people who are lost and who are lowly. I came for the people who are enemies of God. I came for people who are in situations of their own doing. This woman who was ostracized by society, most likely, she was in a situation of her own doing. She, doesn't, she never says, someone forced me in this situation. She, she is in this situation, breaking the Torah of her own doing, and yet Jesus comes to the well and talks to her. He meets her where he is, and he doesn't bend the rules, but he does say, I am the one that you've been looking for. I am the one. Jesus came for broken people. He came for the lowly. He came for the outcast. He came for the enemy. He came to make those people, us people, us, children of God. That's the work that Jesus came in. So when we're thinking about Christmas, when you're looking at your Christmas tree and you see the manger, you're, you're thinking about the reason for the season and all these feelings that you should be feeling right now, the thing that we have to remember is this is the reason that Christmas exists because Jesus came for you and he came for me. He came for us. For a people who are left dead in our trespasses and sin, yet he came life and light to our darkness and to our death to rescue us. That's the reason the angels sang to the shepherds. Joy, have joy, rejoice because a Savior has come. This is the work that he came for. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The harvest, look, up, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white. That was a sign that the, the grain was ready to harvest. The fields are white. They are ready for, harm, for harvest. The, see, Jesus came for people. He came to change people. He came to take those of us Every single one of us, born into sin and full of messes of our own making, trapped in a cage that we built ourselves. And he came to unlock that cage, to breathe life where there once was death, to convert us and change us from being children of death to children of life, to be those, from those who were enemies of God to those who are friends or children of God. That's the harvest that he's talking about. That's the, the mission that the Father sent from enemies of God to his children. He came to save people for the Father. And here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. 
I'm just telling you, you need to open your eyes and look up because the fields are ready for harvest. The disciples were missing this Samaritan woman because they were just looking at the daily, normal way that people look at things. They were not seeing the way the father looked at that woman as his child, his daughter, who he sent his son to save. Think about that. I don't know whether you're a believer or not in here, but this is the kind of God that God is. That he would go through, think of all the things that he had to go through to take the second person that God had to become man and to be born in the manger and live this sinless life. And like, like, like we just kind of rush ahead to the cross, but think of what he did so that this, this son, the son of God, the son of God would walk down this path and sit at this well where this adulterous Samaritan woman would come by herself so that he could talk to her and she could see that the Messiah had come. The Messiah had come. Jesus is saying the harvest is ready. You just have to lift up your eyes and see it. That's what he's saying to the disciples, and that's what he's saying to us. That's the mission that he came on. That's the mission of Christmas. But why, why would he have to tell his disciples, or why would he have to tell us, look, lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is ready? Why would he have to tell us that? He had to tell us that because, first of all, he says that we're prone to say the harvest will be later. So, so here's the question. When Megan and I were at dinner with our neighbors last night, and when you're at dinner with your friends or you drive by the houses in your neighborhood, do you, do we, do you really believe, do you see them the way Jesus saw that Samaritan woman, or do you see them as inconveniences? Do you see your friends and family members around you as the, that Samaritan woman that Jesus came for, or do you see them as like, hey, they they just don't seem like the religious type to me. I, I didn't, like, maybe later there'll be a harvest. Later, have you had a conversation with my dad at Thanksgiving? You have no idea how hard his heart is. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't, I've tried to have a conversation and it's hitting up against a brick wall every single time. Or it's a, a friend or a, a, a coworker that you value and that you love, that you care for, and you're like, if I ever say anything, if I ever share like Jesus did, take this common, ordinary, situ- everyday situation, this woman get, coming to get watered the well, and turn it to a time where her eyes would be open and she would see the Messiah came for her, I, I just don't have the guts to do that. Like That may be later, but it's not for me. The harvest may be later. We're prone to think that. We're prone to think that actually oftentimes if we're honest in here, isn't it true that we just don't often see the harvest around us? We see people around us as people that we have to interact with. Some of you are extroverts and you just love interacting with people. And some of you, us, are introverts and you just view people as a necessary conversation that you have to have until you can be alone again. But do we see the people around us the way Jesus saw the Samaritan woman? 
Oftentimes we don't see the harvest because we don't look, look up out of our own selves. We're so consumed with trying to create a perfect life for ourselves or just to get through the day or to make it to the end so I can sit down and have some Netflix time. I, I'm so confused, confused, I'm so consumed with thinking about like the humdrum of life that I never open up my eyes and look out to lift them up to see there's a harvest out there. The people on my street, the people that I work with, the people that I interact with every day, those are people like that Samaritan woman that Jesus came to save. We often don't see the harvest. We often don't think the harvest is ready, right? Like you may see your friends and family members and your neighbors and you think, yeah, I know they need the Lord. But man, they are just, our conversations never even get anywhere near there. I don't think that we'll ever get there. Or maybe we kind of sometimes think, do we sometimes think like, hey, someone else, someone else will gather that harvest? It's sort of like sometimes, I think, I don't think it's an active thing that Megan and I and the kids do at home, but like you see like, like a sock or something got dropped in the living room, and I walk by it and I keep thinking like, I didn't drop that sock. Somebody else is going to get that sock. And I think everybody else is walking there, like, looking by, if they even see it. Like, if Landon even sees it driving, running by, it's probably his. But, like, like as, as we're walking around, doing, like, it's kind of we're having a contest. Like, hey, I'm going to wait as long as I possibly can until I actually have to pick that thing up. But somebody else is going to get that sock. And sometimes we think about that, like, the people around us, right? Like, somebody else will get them. Somebody else will share. Somebody else will show God's love to them. Sometimes we think, and somebody else is better equipped to do it than me. I don't know enough to share the gospel, the good news of why Christmas even exists, the mission of Christmas with the people around me. I'm not the kind of, I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just a guy who plants seed. I'm just a guy who waters. I'm, I'm scared of messing it up. You ever think that? I'm scared of messing it up. I'm afraid of what their response is gonna be. But truthfully, truthfully, isn't the thing that we're most often that we're dealing with is that we just don't care about it. Isn't the truth, oftentimes we just don't really care about the mission that Jesus came on that he said was his food to do the way that he cared. We get so caught up in life, God giving us a good life, we don't even really care about the mission that he came on. Isn't that so often why we have, like, really, like, some of, some of our family situations are really tough, right? Some of you have lost loved ones, and Christmas is tough. Like, there's some real factors that make Christmas difficult, right? But isn't the reason sometimes that we just are, feel so disconnected at Christmas is because we don't have the perfect Christmas that we dreamed of instead of joining with Jesus on his mission, the reason that Christmas exists. Jesus says, lift up your eyes that you may see the harvest. And then secondly, he says, lift up your eyes that you may rejoice as you harvest. Look at what he says that. He says, the fields are white for harvest. In verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. 
Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. There was this whole concept in this agrarian society that like there's this there's joy associated with, with reaping. Like all like if you're reaping, if you're harvesting, all you get to have to do is come through and take the fruit. Take the, take the grain, like you're cutting it down, you're picking, you're doing all the things, like, like you get to, like, and you know, like, you're putting food in the basket, like, you know, like, this is something I get to eat, but when you're planting, it's toil for something that you're not going to see a result in for a long time, and if you're out there, I grew up in the country, and my granddad would show up, and, and he would knock on the door early in the morning all the time, and, and he would say, well, we got to go hoe the garden, and my, my granddad, like, number one, I didn't volunteer to plant the garden. I did not volunteer to hoe the garden. This was my summer vacation. I did not envision that as a 14, 15, 13-year-old, like spending my day hoeing the garden. That is hard work. It is hot. It is messy out there. And there is no payoff for that. It is hard work. But reaping, that's fun. You need to go there, you take the fruit, and there's joy in that. And so what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, now that I have come, there's this whole like, element that's going on where I have been planting, I have planted the seed, and I have been caring for the soil, and the harvest is ready. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Will you join me in the rejoicing of reaping the harvest? The, fun, the most fun time of the harvesting process, will you join me in the joy of reaping the harvest, of collecting the work the harvest that we're talking about is God's great purpose in creation. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. Whether Jesus was born on the 25th of December or not, most likely not, we celebrate it here. And the reason we celebrate it is because it's, it is incredibly miraculous that God came in his great work in creation to redeem a broken generation and a rebellious people who are running far from him, he came for us. That is God's great work in creation. It is his eternal work. It's what God is doing. God is building and gathering a people for himself. And you know what we're told? We're told, we're told that this is what God rejoices over. When we hear stories of God rejoicing over something, it is rejoicing over the harvest of souls. Uh, Luke 15, 7 and 10, it says that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one lost one who is, who is found the 99 righteous. You know what that's saying? It's saying that God himself in heaven rejoices. It throws a party when a lost one is found. When one who is dead comes to life, when one of the ones that Jesus came on his Christmas mission for come to know him, heaven rejoices, God rejoices. God rejoices. Have you ever had a neighbor who rejoiced a lot, had a lot of parties? And think of how what an amazing amount of noise that kind of neighbor can cause. What kind of noise does God cause, does God make whenever he rejoices? What kind of sound does God make when he parties over one of his children coming home? Gives us a picture, right? The rich man 
whose son had disowned him, has said, hey, give me my portion, had run away whenever he in, squanders away a large portion of this man's wealth. When he finally comes to his senses and the man, the father is out on the porch looking for the son. How long has he stood there? How many evenings has he, had he stood there looking out, squinting into the distance? And when he sees him coming, the, uh, a Jewish man would never do this, particularly a man of property and wealth. He picks up his, like his, his dresses, right? He picks up his robe, a robe of honor. He gives him his ring, which was a sign of authority. And he says, kill the fattened calf, which is a sign of partying. That's the picture that Jesus gives us of the way the Father responds to those who come home to the harvest. Here's the truth. We can't see Jesus without lifting up our eyes to him, right? And we can't see Jesus without seeing the harvest that he came for. There's no loving Jesus without loving his church and his children. And if we get away from that, we've turned him into some servant of us rather than us being his children and his servants. And think of what he is inviting you and me into. Wouldn't it be amazing to be free? Have you ever just like, <laughs> how many times have you ever going through life, you're at work, you're at your desk, you're standing at the cash register, you're dealing with some difficult client or customer, you're driving down the road, you're waking up in the morning, you're waking up the kids, you're turned to your spouse and they have morning breath, or, and you're thinking there's got to be more than this. Doesn't have to be some sort of meaning that's deeper and more purposeful than this. This is what it is. Jesus is inviting you and me to join with him in what he rejoices over. He rejoices over the harvest and he says the harvest is ready and the, if we are ready to rejoice, you just got to join me in my harvesting. It is ready. It's what Jesus rejoices in. It is what he loves. It's what he cares about. It's the people for which he came. That's the harvest. And that's Advent, right? We're celebrating the Advent season. It's the second Sunday of Advent. You know what Advent means? It means coming. And the reason that we celebrate in the church calendar is it, it tells us and reminds us that Jesus came. It's, how he, it's a story of how he came to our broken world. It's a story that he came and that he gave. That's, the, that's why we exchange presents at Christmas. Well, maybe not why we, but that's why we started exchanging presents at Christmas because Jesus came and he gave. And that's what he calls us to join with him in doing. To come, or rather to go and give. The way he came and he gave. It's the mission of Christmas. It's the mission of Advent. It's the great mission of God. It's what he rejoices over. And he is inviting you and me to join in him in his joyous work. Here, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Here, Luke chapter 2, verse 10. This is the famous Christmas story, right? We're going to be, we're, this is the passage that we're going to be in the next two weeks. 
And the angel, this is the, the angels that appear to the shepherds. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, this is why you should not fear, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign of you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It is the mission of Christmas. It's the joy of our Savior. It's what he celebrates. It's what he joys in. It's what he it's what he celebrates, what he rejoices over. Hebrews 12, verses 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, for the what? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What's that joy? The joy was to accomplish the Father's work. And what was the Father's work? To bring a people for his own possession that we might be his and enjoy him and glorify him forever. Us going and giving is God's way of sharing his, the joy of his harvest with us. Us going and giving the way Christ came and gave is God's way of sharing his joy, the joy of his harvest with us. And it simply means us loving people and sharing the gospel with them. It's that simple. Going to them where they are, meeting them where they are, and giving them the only thing that we have. But what did, what did, what did Peter and John say? Silver and gold have we none? In the name of Jesus Christ, Nazareth, rise up and walk. The man rose up and walked, and he was rejoicing. He was not, it was certainly the fact that he could walk, and he could jump, and he could, he could run around now. But in, in deeper than that, it was the fact that he had found the one who had been searching for with all of his being. He had found the Savior, just like that Samaritan woman. What if? Here's my what if for, for us this morning. What if, instead of trying to have the perfect Christmas, we join Jesus in his Christmas mission? What if instead of trying to have the perfect Christmas, we joined in with Jesus in his Christmas mission. Why? Because he wants us to join in his rejoicing of the harvest. Lift up your eyes that you may see the harvest. Lift up your eyes that you may rejoice as you, as you harvest. And then lastly, this is really cool. Lift up your eyes that you may harvest what you haven't earned. Verse 37, for here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps, right? That's the whole kind of, kind of concept that we were talking about earlier. Sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into that labor. What Jesus is saying is, I mean, it's very clear and obvious. In heart, saying that, Whenever he's calling us to join him in the harvest, that he's calling us to join in harvesting for a harvest that we did not work for, we didn't labor for. What does it mean? 
Well, it means, first of all, that the harvest is the Lord's. The harvest isn't yours and mine. So some of us, when we think about sharing our faith with people around us, we get really stressed out because we think, what if I botch this? What if I mess this up? What if I say the wrong thing or say this the wrong way or it's not the right time or it's not, and man, I'm not saying that any of those things don't matter. I'm just saying that sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves, but we forget the harvest isn't mine. The harvest is the Lord's. He didn't call me to do the heavy lifting of reaping the harvest. He just called me to come through and gather the fruit. It belongs to him and he's been laboring either directly with the people around me or through other people. Who knows whose grandma your friend has been, has, how, who knows if they have a grandma that's been praying for them? Who knows if they had a, a, a roommate in college that prayed for them? Who knows who's been working in their life? Who knows what they're going through and what they've heard, what has set them up at this time? All he's calling you to do is lift up your eyes, join in the joyful work, and earn and reap what you did not labor for. The heavy lifting, the investment, the risk, it's all his. It's not yours and mine. He's been working the harvest throughout all eternity. It says that Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundation of the earth. Like God's been planning this thing, this salvation, this thing for a long time. He's been working the people, the lives of the people around us in ways that we do not see and cannot imagine. He's had people talking with them, praying for them, around them. And he, gets this, he says, you get to reap what you didn't labor for. I heard a story this week about a, a man who was able to lead a guy who'd been praying, he'd been like praying for for years and years to Christ. But he didn't labor for that, for that person. He's been praying and hanging out with them, showing them love and sharing the gospel whenever he could. God opened their eyes. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's why it's a rejoicing thing for us and not a labor thing for us. We just get to share the best part, right? The joy of the harvest. That's the Christmas mission. So what do we do with this? What do we do? The hardest part. Well, you and I, I don't know some of you guys, but I, I know me. And it is easy for me to just get caught up in daily life. And I don't even, I'm not even, like, I'm certainly disobeying the Lord, but it's, it's less about that and more just like, I'm just not seeing what he is, how he is working around me. And he says, first of all, lift up our eyes and see. And then secondly, he's saying, reap the harvest while it's the harvest season. Reap the harvest, those that he came for, his Christmas mission, while it's the harvest season. So here's just a practical way that you and I can do that. Now you can pull out those cards that Dale promised you about. Today is Card Sunday. You have all this literature at your, at your chairs. By the way, if you have not filled out one of those information cards, please do it. Look at this card. Uh, Destiny designed this for us. Thank you, Destiny. I don't know if she's in here. She's back in the back serving. There she is. There's Destiny. She's right there in front of me. I apologize. Of course she's there. Destiny designed this for us. And here's how we're going to do this practically. Look at the bottom of this triangle. Actually, at the bottom of it, right? 
love everyone, tell them why. That's just very, very clear. But look at the bottom of this triangle. It says culture of invitation. What does that mean? It means that as a church and as a people, we want to build a culture of invitation. You know what that means? That means you invite everybody you know to church all the time. You just, even people that you don't know, like you, you pull up to a stop sign and there's somebody standing there, like throw them an invite card and drive off. Like we just want to build a culture of invitation. Just invite them. Invite everybody to church. Hopefully next, next week we'll have invite cards for you to invite people to the Christmas weekend services. Build a culture. And you know how you build a culture of something? You just practice it over and over again. That's really what it means. It just means doing something over and over again. We're gonna, we want to build a culture of invitation. And here's why. It doesn't end with just inviting people to church. Like if, we, if you bring people like, we will praise God. We pray that God will open their eyes when they come here. But here's what we're really praying for. As you invite people to church, invite card or just invite them to come, look for an open door. That's that question mark there. Do they ask you follow-up questions? Do they just like, they may just blow you off, but do they ask a follow-up question like, hey, I didn't know you went to church, or tell me more, like, like how, did you, how did you end up going to church, or, or I, like, tell me about what's going on here, and you just use that opportunity. Don't tell them about Doxa. Doxa's not that interesting. Tell them your story. Tell them your story, what Christ has done for you and in your life. It doesn't have to be a long, it could be 30 seconds. And then after you tell your story, you look for an open door again. Are they, do they seem interested? Do they ask you more questions? If they do, then you get to share the gospel with them. The gospel when I just said share the gospel, some of you guys pictured like evangelism. You know where I've been going with this sermon, and Christians freak out when we say evangelism. If I would tell you I'm speaking on evangelism or prayer today, none of you guys would have shown up. You're like, yeah, I'm going to skip that Sunday. But evangelism is God's invitation to us to join in the joy of his harvest, the mission of Christmas. It's a joyous thing. And you share the gospel. You know what we're told in Scripture? That the gospel is powerful unto salvation. That the gospel is what is, the, it is the power of God to open blind eyes and to bring people from death to life. It's the, the gospel, the, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us is the power to take someone from being an enemy of God to being their child. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to be able to do this Christmas season? I think that would be absolutely amazing. Then over all of this, we want to pray. And I don't just mean like, hey, just throw out, just say, we need to pray. But we need to pray. There's several, several things that I'm thinking of here. First, Matthew 9, which is the, a parallel passage to this. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. And what Jesus is saying, he's not saying pray that God would send somebody else. He's saying that the harvest is so large that we can't handle it. Pray that he would send back up for us to help harvest it. We're praying. What we want to pray is we want to pray for each other as believers. God, make us all laborers in your harvest field. Make us laborers. 
And then he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 2, it says, that, Pray that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So here's what we want to pray. We want to pray for people around us, our neighbors, our family members, our friends, our classmates. We want to pray for them specifically that that God would cause light to shine out of darkness so that they would see the face, the beauty that is found in Jesus Christ. We want to pray that God would grant them repentance so that when we talk with them, we invite them, we tell our story, we share the gospel, that God would bring them from death to life. And here's how we're going to do that. You turn the card over. There's three beautiful blank spots for you here. And here's what we're going to do. That's a church, and individually. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pray as we, as we close the sermon and we prepare for communion. I pray that you would pray and ask God for three names. And look, if you don't feel like fire from heaven tell you what those three names are, just write three people's names down. Like, don't wait. Like, God is in the saving business. He's, it doesn't have to be a burning bush. Just write th- three people that you don't think know the beauty is found in the face of Jesus Christ. Write them down here on this card, right here this morning. And what we're going to do is you're going to take this home. You can put it in your bag, in your car, on your refrigerator. Here's the beauty. Other people that come to your house, if you put it in your bathroom mirror, for some reason they're sneaking around in your bathroom and they see your card, they won't know. They'll just see this. They won't know you've got names on the back that you're praying for. But every time you see it, you'll remember, well, God, I pray that you would allow me to do this with these people on the back. And pray that as we invite people to services here at Christmas time, that God would bring death to life, that He would allow us to join in the joy of His Christmas mission. Wouldn't that be awesome? I can't think of anything better. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to prepare our hearts for the communion as the as the band comes up. Uh, while we start off, like you're free to come up at any point, but take some time. Maybe before you take communion, take some time, write those names down, pray for them as you come up. Remember what Christ, how he died, his body was broken and his blood shed for you. And remember, he came for the Samaritan woman and he came for those people who are around us as well. And I pray that we're going to see an amazing, joyful harvest this holiday season. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, that's awesome. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.